0: This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Tuesday, August 28th, 2018. My guest is no other than Tim Stevens, the editor-in-chief of Roadshow at CNET. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Miriam? I'm awesome. I'm glad to have you on. This has been a long time in the making, as you know. Uh, It certainly has Uh, been. We've had some ups and downs in making this show go, (laughs) folks. Uh, But here we are, and we're up. So, woohoo. I want to talk, I'm going to be warning you, this is a show about EVs, about electric vehicles, about the future of cars, about mobile technology in the sense of you get in it and you move rather than you put it in your pocket and you move. So for those of you who are looking for a phone show, I'm sorry, but this is uh, the time that I'm at Burning Man. So I do uh, try to not stay too newsy with the shows during that time because I can't really keep up. So... Tim and I are going to talk about EVs. And Tim, I want to start with the latest news, I think, in EVs, which is the Model 3 Performance mm. Edition that mm-hmm. uh, a few weeks ago started getting some uh, some reviews. Uh, the journalists got their hands on them. I know very few people have taken delivery. Um, and as you know, I, I, I mean, you do know, but the listeners might not know, but I do have a Model 3 myself. It's the rear-wheel drive premium long range. Uh, so the fully loaded basically starter edition model three and i've had it for about a month and a half and i've got about two thousand miles on it and i've got some seat time and some thoughts and feedback that i can give i I did a show with michael fisher you know uh, um mr mobile you've met him before i'm sure yeah 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 so you know he and i had a little discussion when i initially got my model three and how i was still like in the in the Kind of like smitten phase. I mean I'm still i <laughs> am I'm I'm still smitten. I'll be honest. I'm glad I made the decision. It's a phenomenal vehicle, especially for long distance travel. Um but you're past the honeymoon now. Yeah, I mean I think I have a little more objective perspectives now. And we were just talking about this before the show started, but I want to get your take on on the on the three performance you've read it you, you haven't i don't think you've driven it right
1: no i sadly haven't had a chance to drive it i was actually on vacation the week that um, that dropped so uh, sadly i missed my chance go, go figure tesla would drop it uh, when i take my one vacation of the year thanks a lot but uh, unfortunately i haven't had a chance to drive it but yes i've been eagerly reading everyone's um everyone's impressions
0: of the car and i'm sure you've talked to folks on your team and outside your team that have had some good seat time with the vehicle and have Probably giving you some pretty solid feedback. So, what what's your take? I mean, is it what we were expecting? Um, I seem to see a lot more positivity around that car than the original Model Three reviews.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's there's definitely reason for positivity. It's it's a better handler. They've lowered it a little bit and tweaked the suspension. They've got some better tires on there too, which is nice to see. Of course, all-wheel drive is nice, and a lot more power, you know, uh, 450 horsepower is, um, that's thats a lot. So it's definitely a very quick car, and certainly, you know, when a lot of um, automotive journalists get behind a car, we tend to be performance enthusiasts, so adding that much more power and that much more handling and everything else to a car is probably going to make our ears perk up a little bit more. So I think that's part, at least, of the reason that you've seen uh, some, some more positive reception to this car. And the addition of track mode, too, I think is interesting that you can actually take this car to the track and for a little while anyway, uh, go out and lap around and have some fun with it. Um, but there's definitely some reason for skepticism, too. and I think the main reason for skepticism is that with the Model 3, you know, this was launched as being this this ultimate $35,000 electric car that, that Tesla was kind of building their company around. And now even though we knew that they weren't going to launch with that cheap Model 3, but instead of actually moving closer to the cheaper Model 3, they're actually moving further away and moving up to an even more expensive version of the Model 3. And there's still no talk of exactly when that cheaper 35 grand Model 3 will be out there or and some people are even questioning whether it'll
0: ever actually be launched. I think it will be. Um and but I agree with you. There is that specter of the of the base model. Um Here's a few things as a Model 3 owner and as somebody who's obviously following this very closely. I think some of the... Okay, it's actually a comment and a a question to you. Mm -hmm. Um, I I feel like maybe some of the positivity is that the timing of the launch of the 3 performance, at least the availability for media, is related to a lot of the timing of the fact that Tesla is finally delivering these cars in quantity and has finally, I think, achieved a big milestone there. And I think that also the fact that uh, there was this uh, this quarterly investor call, right? Where uh, I think Elon was a little better behaved for once. Yeah, which and, was uh, uh,
1: really, really pleasant. You know, on his last call, he was um, very insulting and dismissive to, to people who were questioning of him and, and was very... You know seemed to be going out of his way to take as many softball questions as he could be but in this call he was actually apologetic and that was that was pretty shocking to see um and, and frankly it really encouraging because over the past month you know he's had some really terrible tweets to be perfectly oh my blatantly god honest. I agree, I um, agree. and so to be dialing that down to be reading that in a bit is uh, is a good thing I think he may have realized that he was not doing his legacy uh, any services with those tweets
0: no, I agree. And I think that that, that was much needed. I mean, yeah. you know, I think uh, I, 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 some of the things he says are on, it's it's like, it's, oh God, like some people are just, you <laughs> some people need to stay off Twitter more. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying get off completely, but like stay off a little bit, uh, take a break. Um, but look, I think, do you think, so do you think that affects it? Like, do you think that maybe the, it's, because, look, I'll be honest with you. I've, I've, with a regular Model 3 owner, and as a, you know, somebody who, granted, hasn't driven as many cars as you have, I've never driven a Ferrari. I don't know. But I've driven Porsches and I've mm-hmm. driven other performance cars, and I can say for sure that the Model 3, as I have it, rear wheel drive with the suspension, the larger eight, well, not the largest, but the larger 19 inch tires, mm-hmm. is a hell of a an handler. And I agree that it's under tired in the sense that I'm a performance enthusiast, but it's also. Properly tired for, you know, the everyday use and most importantly, the ability to deal with typical West Coast climate, which it's very rarely going to see snow right, right. but and yep. every now and then we'll see rain so I think I would I don't what I'm saying is I don't think I would unless I lived in San Diego I don't think I would drive my I would change the tires on my model three to summer tires mm-hmm. or to high ultra high performance summer so I think there are some compromise in in the way the shoes that the the normal model 3 is wearing but I think that overall I'm really impressed with the way this car drives I'm really impressed particularly with the steering um and and I'm sure the performance version is better but I'm like how much better can it really be? I mean, acceleration, obviously, I know because I've been in a P one hundred D in Ludicrous, so I know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But that's kind of what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if the if the the reviews we're reading are slightly colored by the fact that people are the media a little has kind of ushered a sigh of relief from the fact that we're finally getting to a place with the Model Three. A lot of the obstacles have been over over you know are, are over with, other than as, as you said, the base model. Do you think there's something there? Uh, I definitely think that, um, yeah, the reaction is,
1: it's honestly pretty pretty split in the automotive industry. There are, or, or the journalism side, I should say. Um, there are a lot of folks who are still very skeptical of Tesla and the fact that they'll even be able to survive another year. You know, there are a lot of folks on this side of the fence who believe that Tesla is... Kind of a dead company, walking. They're, they're just kind of stringing together pretty much day by day at this point. But but ultimately, you know, there's so much um, excitement around what Elon Musk does and what Tesla does, and obviously, there's a huge amount of, of, of brand value there, which is which is kind of grown from nothing, which is great to see. So there are a lot of folks who are very excited by the disruption that Tesla's bringing to the industry, and so I don't think that there's a clear consensus in that it's it's ultimately shifting radically f- uh, in one way or the other. But certainly, when it comes to performance. Um, the Model 3 performance has definitely stepped forward in a big way. And again, I, I think that the better tires are a big part of that. You know, moving up to 20-inch wheels, for one thing, will definitely make the steering more sharp in a big way. And moving up to a proper tire, Michelin uh, Pilot Sport tire, um, that's a that's definitely a bit of um, you know, it's not quite a dedicated summer tire exactly, but it's definitely pretty close to the kind of thing that you see from a Supersport, for example. Uh, and so, that will make a huge difference in terms of the handling of the car. Oh, for sure, yeah. And, yeah, and so, sure. that's a big part of it. But, you know, the, the rear-wheel drive Model 3, the base car, which which I spent quite a bit of time in as well, um, you know, I'd put that on par with something like a BMW 3 Series, something like that, in terms of engagement. Not, you know, an M3 by any means. No, um, of course. But, but it is, it's definitely a fun and engaging car to drive. And, of course, it's got that torque, which is the most fun thing of all the Teslas. And every EV, really, even, you know, a base EV like, like the Kia Soul that we have, That's a very low-power car, but still it's got amazing throttle response. And one of the big things that we're seeing as, as companies are struggling to meet their emissions targets, what they're doing is really they're taking that throttle curve on a traditional internal combustion engine and making it like a rubber band. So when you put your foot down on the gas, the engine's actually very slow to open up the throttle. So even if you have a car with a lot of horsepower, we're seeing these cars have actually pretty terrible throttle response, which just, again, makes these EVs feel... All that much faster and yeah, that, that i think yeah. is the real joy in driving these cars
0: actually i if i have actually one piece of feedback to tesla from my car is that i feel that it's sometimes a little rubbery that way at least in the very beginning of the R, of the rpm range and i think it's traction control right i mean i think that they are purposely modulating traction i believe somebody quoted somewhere that elon doesn't ever want to hear the tires squeal so um But when it starts, when it finally gets traction, and you can really feel it ramp up the the torque, and wow, right? I mean, that's when Mm -hmm. you get the rush. That's my experience with the three. What I find interesting, though, is that as a rear wheel drive car, it grips and and you know it catches that traction so much better than any any of the other electric cars I've driven uh, that are non Teslas because they most of them are front wheel drive, and and like I, I remember with the Chevy Bolt, I was constantly. Um, you know, even with the traction control, having the tires spin out and mm. traction kick in, mm-hmm. and because I'm heavy footed and I like it, and I've driven many, many, many more, more front wheel drive cars in my life, way more. So you know, having grown up in Europe, I'm much more used to driving aggressively on front wheel drive, and I know how to handle it way better. Mm-hmm. I'm still just learning the ropes with rear wheel drive between my Boxster S and and the Model Three, mm. and of course the Model Three has it's kind of really impossible in the base Model Three, I think. In normal driving, to overcome the the nannies, whereas with my S, my Boxster S, it lets you slip out the rear even with the I've got stability control on my, my 2001 boxer S, and it does kick in. I've had it kick in. Thankfully, it's it's kicked in when I needed it because mm-hmm. I'm not I'm don't know what I'm doing, um, but um, you can get it out without kicking in, which is lovely. I think it's very nicely programmed. It's definitely the best one of the best stability controls I've ever used on an older car mm-hmm. uh, because most of them are so overbearing on old cars, right? Yeah, yeah. That. They're very annoying and
1: once they cut in then you've got no power pretty much until you take your foot all the way out of the gas Correct. and back on it again Correct. which is yeah, very disruptive to say the least.
0: So I do feel that the Model 3 you know, could spin its tires a little bit at startup, and maybe in track mode on the three performance, it's it lets you get loose a little bit like mm-hmm. that. Uh, it would be nice sometimes to feel the rear end wiggle a little bit more. It's very controlled on the on the three that I have, and you're right. I feel that it's it's a solid car that drives. I I don't, I don't know. I feel that with the low center of gravity, it still drives a little. I feel it's a little better than a three series or an A4 or a C class. Um, I feel it's a little more rewarding. At the same time. You know, I'm conflicted all the time because it's like, well, my 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 Boxer S is one of the most awesome cars to drive, being a mid-engine car. Mm-hmm. And in terms of handling, does it, does it beat my Boxer S? I don't I don't think so. Yeah, I would say uh, no. but at, <laughs> no, right? But at, at the same time, my Boxer S, you know, feels so much less mature as a vehicle. And and I think, of course, there's age here, right? 2001. Oh, yeah. it's in yeah. very good shape. Mm-hmm. But it's I think that there's you know a leaps and bounds of what do you want to call it, uh, uh, that tight feel, that tight German well-put-together feel, you know, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call that, uh, that's happened in 20 years, right, or 18, 19, 17 years. Mm-hmm. But I think that, uh, uh, yeah, it's a very different experience. Yet, uh, in terms of acceleration and G-forces and stuff, the I feel the Model 3 seems to beat, uh, other than maybe on-ramps, where I can really take curves super fast with the Boxster S, because it's not as heavy, right? Uh, and it has a little center of gravity. I feel that acceleration absolutely my Model Three destroys my Boxster. So. Yeah, probably so.
1: <laughs> and of course, things like you know bushings wear out, and and steering uh, power steering pumps start to get a little bit tired over time. So steering gets a little bit vague in older cars, and that definitely plays a factor too. You know, a box fresh Boxster, uh, not to be too punny, would definitely <laughs> feel a little bit sharper, feel quite a bit sharper, I think, than than yours. But ultimately, too, it would also have. You know, there are even more nannies in, in the new one than the old one. And, of course, now we've got turbochargers as well, which would also muddy yeah. the experience a bit. So, well, honestly, in some ways, I would it's never, more pure experience than
0: yours. I believe the 718 is wrong. But, I mean, look, I'm not saying that it's wrong because it's a bad car. Everybody says it's a normal car. It's much more powerful, nice much faster than the the six-cylinder cars used to be. But, at the same time, for me, it, they made the wrong decision. I hope they go back to a six. Uh, even turbo or a slightly, slightly turbocharged six on the next-gen, yeah. Uh, of the Boxer and Cayman, base Boxer and Cayman. Hopefully, we see a GT4 with the four liter or something.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping to bring the GT4 back. <laughs> no, 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 um, that would be we nice. shall
0: see. Uh But I mean, mine is you know six. It's manual mm-hmm. and it's got the nannies, but I can turn them off. And yeah. the nannies are well behaved in up. mine. And that's basically the only nannies I have. I don't have. I still have hydraulic power steering, and it's it. The feel, the steering feel on the Boxer is, I mean. I don't have a lot of points of reference compared to you because you drive things like all the kinds of exotics and and, and drive train configuration that mm-hmm. I haven't really experienced yet. But I feel like it's definitely the best steering feel I've ever had. But I have to say that as I sm- much more isolated, much more buttoned down the Model 3 is that the steering feel hasn't been sacrificed too much, which is surprising to me. It's just a different experience. you know. Mm-hmm. This, it doesn't feel numb, but it doesn't feel but it just feels some so much more mature in some weird way. I don't know it's it's hard to explain. But but yeah, I'm i I'm, I'm you know, I didn't get the choice of ordering the performance model. I, it was not an option at the time I configured my car. Mm-hmm. I if it was, I would have really been conflicted because of course I'd want it and I yeah. can't afford it. I just don't think I could afford it. Yeah, so in a way I'm grand. glad that <laughs> that's yeah. that's, uh, that's a lot in a way, I'm glad I got what I got because uh, I can hang on to it for a couple of years, and then maybe then I can sell it when uh, when Tesla starts leasing cars, which mm. is generally my better thing for my my, my needs. Mm. Especially uh, with especially, AVs. Uh, for, it
1: usually makes more sense with a lease as well.
0: Yeah, for especially for uh, for you know as a business expense. Mm-hmm. Um, I will probably just lease a performance uh, Model 3 then and uh, that upgrade that way. We'll see how it goes. I mean, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll be something else from some other maker coming around. And we're going to speak about that in a minute. But I do want to talk about a couple of other things. Uh, first of all, the base Model 3. You're right mm. that uh, we need to see that base. We also need to see leasing. I think it's really critical for a lot of people. We also need to see... Um. A long, uh, Well, the, the base, not just the base, but the the, the short range luxury version, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because that's something that a lot of people are going to want. Like people who don't want a Leaf, don't want a mid-range um, EV, but want the, the luxury, the look, the feel of the Model 3, but don't need the, the range. They're going to want to configure, start with the base and basically omit the $9,000 upgrade to the higher battery. And that's not possible at all so i agree that that will be the proof in the pudding ultimately but i still think i feel much more positive um even not owning a model 3 myself i feel like no i see so many it's Tim, it's incredible how many Model 3s I see in the Bay Area. It's like they've suddenly like just, it's just like they're pouring into the streets. It's insane. I see quite a few
1: even up here in upstate New York where I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I see, almost every time I go out, I see one. So they are definitely, you know, they're being delivered They are definitely building a
0: lot of them. And as I, you know, mentioned on my podcast with Mike Fisher, uh, mine has no, I mean, you know, I'm a bit more aware than the average buyer, I think, about things like fit and finish, panel gaps, all that. And Mm -hmm. mine has Absolutely zero issues. It's I I can't I can't complain. Like I I mean it's not Alex. It's not built like a Lexus. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, not built like a, it's not built like a Dodge. I hate to say that to people, but <laughs> um, it feels. It feels like the panel gaps and all the fit, the the general build quality is, is tops. Uh, uh, they definitely put some quality control in there.
1: I'm definitely curious how the first batch of performance cards shape up reliability wise because those were the ones that were built in the tent. I think they're still building those out in the tent. And frankly, if I <laughs> were buying a sixty four thousand right dollar plus car, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that they're trying to be innovative and disrupt the manufacturing process too. But I sure as hell wouldn't want my sixty five grand car to have been built. In an open air environment, um, that that would definitely give me pause for buying buying
0: that much car for that much money. You know the other thing that's interesting. Uh, I want to talk about this in a second with you. Is uh, is speaking of how, how the Model Three is put together? There's a few people who have taken apart salvage Model Threes mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. and have and it, you know companies in in Michigan that tear tear down cars, etc. Have taken it apart, and I'd like to discuss that with you because I think. I think there's a revolution happening here that nobody's really covering. Mm. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is quickly is how I feel about the interior of my car because uh, so Theo, my spouse, really hates it. <laughs> they feel that it's too minimalistic and mm. feels cheap in their words. Yep. And and they're like, it does not feel like we spent $59,000 on a car. And I'm like, yeah, I can see that. I mean, even my Golf R, I had a 2012, which is Gen 6, um, which was the only available stick back in those days. Um, and that car felt, so tightly put together like it felt like i was just buying an audi basically uh it's the most expensive golf granted it's yep. made in germany granted mm-hmm. but i have to say that if you touch the materials in the golf r except for very few places that are really out of reach the uh the golf r made a better impression than my model 3 it's mm-hmm. it's hard to put your finger on what it is because there's two conflicting things here part of it is the minimalist design a lot of people take that and i think that's part of what theo feels is that it's it doesn't live up to a $59,000 car because it's too minimalistic. But I also think there's the other thing that, the, that they're saying, which is, and I agree with, is that I can't put my fingers on exactly what it is, but the materials don't feel like they live up to $59,000. And it's not the, like hard plastics or edge, like edges that are a little rough. Like, you know, when you get in a Lyft or Uber, like Toyota Camry, right? A mm-hmm. modern one, brand new one. And mm-hmm. you can rub your finger along the edge of the window uh, where the door panel meets the window, and there's always that stupid sharp mold edge there, like mm-hmm. like like that's where it came out of the mold. And if you run your finger on that too fast, you're gonna cut yourself. And I'm like, it's a Camry, guys. Like I can understand this on a Corolla, but like you know, it's but it, it's hidden so well. Like you you never run your finger there unless you're me or you. That uh, but that's not what I'm experiencing with the three. The, there's really no spot I've touched where the materials feel that. Cheap, but they also don't feel that great. You know I, what I'm I saying? I think
1: the, the worst edge in the interior of the Model 3 is on either terminal edge of that wooden strip. It's actually pretty raw yeah. there. And if you rub your finger on there, you can actually get like flakes of wood to come off, which is not good. Um, but overall, I think the materials are pretty good. And for a 35,000-dollar car, I think that'd be really solid. But yeah, but of course, but again, we're not nine. talking exactly. about that. So if you yeah. put this against a BMW 5 series, which is really what we're talking about here, money-wise. The Five Series interior just absolutely blows the Model 3 away in, in every way in terms of noise and vehicle uh n- noise vibration, in terms of harshness, in terms of material quality, in terms of overall comfort. Um it's it's just light years beyond what, what Tesla's doing. Uh and I do actually appreciate the aesthetic of the Model 3. I think it actually Me does too. look really, really it. nice. Um but you know, from the basics of lacking Android Auto and CarPlay to the more advanced stuff that you see in Cars of that price point, whether it be massaging seats or you know higher end sound systems, things like that, that you would expect from a car costing in the fifty to sixty grand range, uh, you just don't see that. And the materials on um, seats, for example, it's a, a vinyl ish vegan material, yeah, and I appreciate the fact vegan. that they've moved to vegan. Being vegetarian, you know, I try to avoid buying leather and stuff like that too. So it's great that that's an option, but it just doesn't have the feel, and I'm guessing it will not have the durability of a proper high quality leather interior.
0: No, I agree. I mean, it feels like I'm going to rip that fabric, that material, in, in the first few years. Even mm-hmm. the steering wheel, I'm like, I'm going to scuff the bottom of the steering wheel, getting in and out of the car with my keychain hanging off of my pants, guaranteed. And I haven't yet, <laughs> but I know it will. Like This is what I'm saying. It's like, I personally don't, unlike Theo, I do love the minimalist interior. I think it's it's awesome. But I feel like, I cannot exactly put my finger on what it is, but it does, it, I agree with them that it feels cheap. In some weird yeah. way, there is something there. It's uh, It's not that the material's are cheap like that Toyota example I gave, but it's it's more like I mean it's more in, just generally speaking, it could be just a weight a little tighter. And for the price, you're right. Comparing to the Germans uh, at that price point, or even some Japanese like Lexus at that price point, it's mm-hmm. like yeah, forget it. Like you're not even remote remotely league. If my 2012 Golf is better than a two thousand eighteen car. Mm-hmm. What what's the golf like today? Right? Like I haven't been in a in a in an R or an, an entry level like an A an S three or an A three mm. recently. So I don't know. I've been in an A four recently, like a two thousand eighteen A four. And man, that's, that interior is wow. I yeah, mean,
1: yeah. Audi continues to do really great things. And it's also the way that Tesla integrated that 15-inch touchscreen where it just really feels kind of just stuck onto the dashboard there. Like, there really wasn't a whole lot of thought in terms of how they were going to make that integrated. When we first saw the car and when I first got my ride in the Model 3, I thought, oh, this is an interesting approach. I wonder how they're going to you know, integrate this into the dashboard a little bit better. Little did I know, actually, that was exactly how it was going that's, to be in the Final Car too. Yep, yep. Um, I don't mind the lack of a gauge cluster as much as I thought Neither I would. Neither no. um, uh, We've talked about my concerns about touch interface in, in my review, a lot of which has been addressed. Some of it still isn't there. A lot of it, yeah. But in terms of it just still hanging out of the dashboard. And we actually heard reports of someone really badly injuring their wrist in an in one of the first crashes of the Model 3, because when when it was in a frontal impact, the passenger's arm just kind of flung forward because of the force, and it smacked up against the side of that LCD, which is really hanging on wow. the dash quite a bit. Um, that, I think, is a concern, too. You know, there's a reason why these things tend to be further back and integrated into the dashboard. Uh, and I think that I think that really needs to be rethought, too, both in terms of the look of it, just looking really stuck on there, and that safety aspect of it, too.
0: But you saw the leaks. You know what's coming for the S and the X.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're all shifting to that that kind of same orientation, which I, I think makes a lot of sense that way Tesla can can optimize their um, the software and ultimately the interfaces on the 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 S and the X are. Really dated. I think they're still a running old, yeah. on first gen Tegras, which is why they're so incredibly slow. Um, and so there's that's that's promising, but still, there's I don't think there's any plans for Android Auto or, or Apple CarPlay, which is uh, which is very. See, it's
0: funny that it's funny that it strips you up so much. I I don't <laughs> care, and I'm I'm you know this is a phone show. Yep. Yeah. I don't I honestly don't care. And I think it's because I have two other cars that don't have anything. Like I'm connected by Augs. So uh and maybe if I wanted to get a Bluetooth adapter I could connect yeah, to Bluetooth.
1: Once you think, once you use it, it, it very quickly becomes what you expect because you I know, just feel I, that the, I plug my on. phone in and immediately my car knows where I need to go. I just tap tash, tap whatever the top suggestion is in the car and I get navigation exactly to where I need to go immediately. Um, I have all my playlists and everything all queued up and ready to go. And I can use it legally in 50 states, which is really nice. But I think one of the reasons that I really like it is because I'm in a new car every week. And so I can just plug my phone in and there's everything already without having to pair anything or do anything. I just plug it in and good to go. So I think my opinion is a little bit skewed. But certainly I know a lot of people who've gotten used to Android Auto and CarPlay and who will simply not buy a car that doesn't have whichever support for whichever phone they offer.
0: I think they should support it. I think it should be a part of it. I think it should just be a. It would be really cool as if it was just a subscreen of the sub of the screen, like yeah. part of a window in the screen. That's that's that that's that view, right? Yeah. Uh, not the whole thing. Like obviously, it would be really interesting to see how they implement that. Uh, but at the same time, like replace the nav part, you know, the existing Model Three interface, which is pretty much most of it, other mm-hmm. than the climate and the little strip on the one third of the left, where the all the information is i i feel the same as you i don't mind the fact that there's no center gauge cluster anymore mm-hmm. and i'm surprised that the leaks for the model s and model x redesign for the interior are showing some sort of cluster there i would have thought that you know with the way elon thinks and does thing and also for left right hand drive compatibility that they would just be a heads-up display uh that would you know it, you're buying a more expensive car. Put a heads-up display in it. Spend the money, and then you can relocate that left or right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can design a, a dashboard that has the, you know, the the, op- the pre-cut opening on both sides, so that you can cover it up with like a little piece of cloth or something on the other side when it's uh, when it's left-hand or right-hand drive, and mm-hmm. then have a heads-up display come out of that. I think that would be more elegant, honestly. That's that's the only thing I'd love to see is a tightly, nicely integrated heads-up display. For the driver, that just has basic information.
1: Yeah, that'd be really nice. In any car that has it as a display that I've driven, I I do tend to very quickly get used to it. And it's usually just basic information like speed uh, and navigation stuff. But but that's really all that you need to know. And and a few of them have begun to even integrate Android Auto or CarPlay into the HUD, like um, the new Accord, for example. If you're using Android Auto or Apple CarPlay navigation... Even that nav gets fed up through the hazard display, which is really, really nice. So, yeah, that, I think, you know, that's a feature that we see in a lot of cars. And, again, the Accord, we're not talking about some crazy luxury car um, to have that kind of functionality in a car like that. But missing in Tesla does seem, seem a bit strange. See,
0: so, see, I think it's not missing. I think it's coming. See, this is the thing you have to... <laughs> I think that's... We also need to keep wrapping our heads around. And I think... You're a little more than me because I think you are still so used to the traditional way of cars because you drive them all the time and they're very traditional. Tesla is really breaking the mold in so many ways. Like I've received two software updates now and it just blows my mind. It, it's, 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 it's an, I think it's a shift in paradigm uh being able to update significantly the vehicle's behavior. Like, you know, the, the behavior of the autopilot when you reviewed it versus the behavior of the autopilot now. I'm not talking about it's, Tracking its trackability, like mm-hmm. its ability to drive. I'm talking about its ability to to interface with the u- with the user, right? right. Yeah. Uh, I think it's it's radically better. And um, what I expect, I, when I read your review, I was like scratching my head and like I'm like I hope they <laughs> fix this before I get my car. And they did. But I think that Android CarPlay and Auto can be added anytime. And I think it's not a priority. In the same way, as right now, it's not a priority for them to add things like support like you know right now the usb support is very limited you can mm-hmm. plug in a flash drive mm-hmm. uh, or a hard drive or something that has mass storage uh, but you cannot plug like it doesn't recognize your android phone right like the content right. of it yeah. via usb mm-hmm. i don't even think it recognizes the content of an iphone via usb so like ipod playback compatibility doesn't exist now, for a lot of people, that's what they're used to, right? Like, there's all these different tiers of people that are used to something, right? There's people who are used to Augs. There's people who are used to Bluetooth audio. There are people who are used to USB audio on Android or iOS. And those are two different interfaces. There are people who are used to just sticking a thumb drive in their car and, like, updating it every few weeks. And then there's people who are used to CarPlay and Android Auto. And I think those other people, I don't think there's any other people. I think there's very few people who listen to whatever... But maybe oh, there's the XM radio people, lots of those. Yeah. Um. But you know, do, does do people use a CD drive anymore? I don't think so. There's none on the Model Three anyway. No. Do people use the FM radio much these days? I prob I don't know. Probably some a lot of people are. I mean worldwide, probably a lot of people are. Definitely. But I don't know about the US. Mm-hmm. Um. So the reality is, I'm finding that. With the entertainment system, and this is actually a mobile tech show, so like you, let's talk a little bit more about that. Sure. I think I love how fast and fluid and flawless the the, the experience is. It's it's the closest thing that I've used to like an iPad. Basically, it's not mm-hmm. quite as good as an iPad Pro, but it's definitely as good as a regular iPad. Um,
1: yeah, in terms of reaction, it's it's miles better than the what's still in the S and the X. Um, it, it's it's got kind of bare bones functionality, but it definitely does just about everything that you would expect from a modern infotainment system. My couple minor quibbles: voice recognition only works if you have a data connection. Um, that's yeah, that's, that's a, l- pain. a little bit unfortunate. And again, yeah. um, b- not being able to interface with even to do to support any of the third party app interfaces like Spotify's or or that kind of thing, so you can control your phone's media through the infotainment system, that's a little bit frustrating as well. Um, so if you happen to use the the apps that they provide, that's great. If you don't happen to use those apps, then you're stuck going with HTTP pairing or something like that uh, to get your media Correct. on. And that, and that right. is a little bit frustrating for me as well. But the way that they integrate navigation and the way that they will auto-route you to superchargers, I think is really nice. Um, we've seen some other improvements even on that. Jaguar, for example, on the iPACE will actually take into account the topography of your route and and your driving habits and even the weather to to yeah, calculate your that range. So that's even taking that to the next step. But Tesla was really, I think, the first to, to to make navigation EV routing smart. And it still it still is quite good.
0: Yeah. And that's I think why they want you to use that instead of your phone sure. right now. Because and, and I, I think that but that shouldn't be the only option. Maybe the Tesla app should over Android Auto right, or, 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 or CarPlay work. And, and you wouldn't have to use the... So I think options are going to come. I, I would really be surprised if we don't get uh, Android Auto and CarPlay within a year or two. Um, and then the rest, I'm not sure if you're going to see dedicated app support from your phone. I think we'll see... Um, Um, what's it called, Uh, storage support for Android and storage support for iOS, Mm -hmm. meaning uh, iPod compatibility, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, That will happen as soon as well at some point. What I'm mostly bummed about is there's no 3.5 millimeter input. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is I have a portable XM radio that sometimes I like to use because sometimes I'm in the middle of nowhere. I've been in a few times now on the Tesla where I had no signal at all. So I couldn't stream internet radio on the built-in apps that they have. And I had, of course, my phone with A2DP, which lots of music on my phone was fine. But I was kind of like, it'd be nice to listen to, uh, you know, uh, first wave 33 right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm I, i I'm not going to do it through an FM modulator. I'm sorry. Like, it's, there's a built-in FM modulator in my XM radio. It's... It's there, but it's terrible. It's horrible. Like all Slightly I better than here, one
1: of those cassette right? adapters that we used to have to use oh, back in
0: the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, so I'm actually looking at ways to retrofit 3.5 millimeter right now. And the way I'm looking at what I'm looking at are creating, uh, using a Raspberry Pi to create a shout, Shoutcast server. Um, so that I can stream live audio from a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack onto the internet and then have that appear as a station in Slacker um, or TuneIn, right? TuneIn would support Mm -hmm. it. If I typed an IP address, it would work. So, you know, like crazy, right? Um, (laughs) and, uh, And then I'm looking at um, and of course, because the Raspberry, if I plug, if I, you know, if I f- connect, because you can connect the car to a Wi-Fi network, mm-hmm. so I could have the Raspberry Pi create a Wi-Fi network, connect to it, type in the IP address of the Raspberry Pi, and stream start-cast. Uh and then it would stream basically whatever comes into the f- th- the 3.5 millimeter input on the Raspberry Pi. But then I would lose all the connectivity features, like as you said, voice control, because yeah. I'm not connected to the internet at that point anymore. So I would have my phone tether. The, the Raspberry Pi and the Raspberry Pi as a, act as a bridge and provide the internet that way, right? That, that's kind of what I'm looking at doing software-wise. The other thing I'm looking that's a little crazier is how to emulate mass storage over USB to basically create a gigantic file that the mass storage system on the car sees. Mm-hmm. And it would work with any car, but basically they see like the maximum file size that you can do with FAT32, which I think is four gigs. Mm-hmm. A four gig file and it starts playing it. And I create a a looped buffer and I keep writing to it Hmm. and I keep kind of uh, coming from the audio uh, from the 3.5 millimeter input on the Raspberry Pi. And so I'm looking at doing that uh, because I actually think that building a little dongle that does what I just described to emulate mass storage USB, but with a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack on it would be a killer little Chinese Amazon product. If anybody's listening out there and wants to create that uh, uh, and wants to maybe start a startup to do that with me, I'll do it because that would be crazy. That would be awesome. I'm sure you'd sell uh, tens of those things. So I mean, think, be think, amazing think, profits, yeah. think about it, right? I mean, once you unwrap your head about what it's doing, it would solve so many problems on so many cars. Hmm. Um, and you could even add Bluetooth to it eventually and mm-hmm. add to, to uh, boot, uh, A2DP compatibility. After, Of course, when the file ends which would be hours and hours of listening. You'd have to you know, just hit play again on that file yep. because, I mean, eventually it would stop. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think it'd be a pretty good stopgap for a lot of people that want high-quality audio without having to... And, and have a car that's kind of like maybe from the last uh, 10, 10, 15 years. A lot of cars support mass storage. So mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> so that's my my only gripe is... is is I love I love the navigation system. I don't like the fact that the voice commands don't work offline and I especially don't like the fact that I can't say turn on the windshield wipers. Mm, like, yeah, that, why that can't I'm I do sure basic stuff like that? Like yeah. I mean that's gotta be trivial for them to implement. Right? I, I'm
1: sure that's coming, but uh, I
0: Again man, yeah, I, I really
1: don't I don't wanna be doing that. <laughs> I would much no, rather but I'll be, be reaching honest down and I didn't control. think I wanted to do mm.
0: that, but now that I've used the voice nav on the Tesla and it's so good. I'm like, sometimes it might just be easier to push the the right clicky thing on the steering wheel and talk to it for some functionality. Like, I mean, I'm not going to turn on high beams and stuff. Wiper is probably not a good example, but mm. um, there are some things that would be nice to be able to do. Open the glove box. I think when buy. that kind of stuff can happen
1: naturally and conversationally without having to engage a voice it's command dangerous. thing. At that point, I'll, I'll be more open to that kind of thing. But as long as I have to oh, do really? a control and then speak a specific command... I'm not. i not really into that just yet.
0: You want to be able to say computer. Yeah. Gee, like that. Earl yeah exactly. Gray, hot. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so we want talk a replicator about the in show the glove for box for the rest of the show. Right now. Go of forward. course we are. Right. Totally. Are you excited? <laughs> I am. Sorry. Not <laughs> super. I'm super excited That's fine. Don't worry about it. We like to segue and <laughs> and tangentize in this show a lot. Ten. What? Tangenting ten, 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 is the word I've come up mm. with. It's a new verb. You tangent. It's turning the verb, the noun ten, tangent into a verb. Um. Yes, I'm evolving the English language like everybody else right is. Uh, I think I think that the other thing uh, I want to talk about the entertainment system is that I think it's really well done. I think that uh, I'm li- I'm feeling limited with just FM radio and A2DP uh, and and mass storage support right now. I, I want I, w- I wish I had three point five millimeter in some way. Mm-hmm. I wish I had um, Optex support for high quality Bluetooth audio. I wish I had uh, a baller. Mm-hmm. I wish I was a baller. No. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty good, but only Slacker... Okay, here's actually what too. I get to. I was losing my train of thought. I wish there was apps. I actually wish mm. there, was, there were apps. And it's coming because there's going to be Atari games. Are you jealous about that?
1: Uh, I still have... You <laughs> you're know, a big Atari game. system, so no? I'm, I'm cool. I don't need yeah, to do that my
0: But isn't that cool? Like, I think it's kind of ridiculous. It's totally Elon Musk to... Tweet, hey, we're gonna have Easter eggs where when you're parked, you can use the steering wheel to do to play pole position on your on your giant screen in 8 bit. <laughs> like, come on! Like that is so dope. Like who's gonna do that? But at the same time, why wouldn't you do
1: that? Everyone's gonna do that on the internet once and then never again. So Correct, absolutely. Great. There's gonna be
0: lots. Expect all the YouTube videos. Yep. Um, but it's an Easter egg, at least it's an Easter egg. He admits to that. I do really like the Rainbow Road Easter egg. I don't know if you've played the Rainbow Road Easter I, I have, yeah, it's actually awesome. it's
1: it's um, There was a car show around here, and I was reading um, a, a, a little bit about it afterward because I didn't bother going because I knew it wasn't going to be that exciting. But the winner of the car show was a stock Model X that played that Easter egg and blew everybody's minds because nobody had ever seen it before. And so of all the custom cars and everything that showed up, this guy with his Model X who just showed up... F- on random one um, because he played that Easter egg. And that was enough to blow the minds of the judges enough that they gave him the grand prize for the show, which I think shows wow. about how, how lame some of the car shows in this area are. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yes, I'm, I'm familiar with that.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, the Easter eggs are silly. I mean, the more cowbell one is, is also quite silly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, this is, that's, that's having a Tesla for you. Uh well, the first time we played the, um, the ho, ho, ho Easter egg, mm-hmm. Um, which is the Christmas, basically Christmas song, you can't, you can't stop it. You have to let it play through. <laughs> so we were like, what the F do we do now? Like, we're like, this is really this, this loud. Is we want to stop. So you know what I ended up doing? Rebooting the computer. <laughs> you know, clicking the two wheels, yep. two controls on the wheels and restarting it. That, that shut it up. Mm. But man, oh, and speaking of which, I've had to do that a couple of times now. I've had it crash on me. Uh, not in the last two versions of the firmware, but the mm-hmm. firmware that I originally had on the car, which was, I guess, early July firmware, uh, It sometimes I'd park the car and get back in the car and the screen wouldn't turn on. The car would work. I could put it in drive or mm-hmm. reverse, but I had nothing on the screen. It was blank. Hmm. Uh, not very useful, as you can imagine. Yeah, not so good. So I would stop the car and I would hit the restart and it would restart and the screen would come back. And you'd be like, yeah, what, what's your problem, Miriam? Everything's cool. I there is nothing to see here. This is not a beta car. Go away and drive and be happy now, okay? Yeah. Signed Elon. And
1: I think that's part of my frustration <laughs> with the OTA thing. I mean, I'm totally on board with adding new functionality and adding new features and making things better and making it a wonderful life and all that stuff over OTA. But when you're when you ship a fundamentally broken product, which I think the original software, the Model 3 was um, and then fix it later, you know, it's that sort of software patch gaming mentality that we've seen. That's it's kind of it's Silicon Valley. It's, it, it's terrible. It's and that I don't it's think terrible. should be allowed to happen in something that you would be driving down the road at 60,
0: 70 miles an hour. I don't think that should be allowed. I agree. And that, that is, Theo is very mad about that. Should be. I, I just, just shrug and say, you know, Silicon Valley beta. Mm-hmm. I'm used to it with Gmail. <laughs> uh, I'm joking, but it's kinda of, look, I agree with you, this is a problem because yeah. this is not Gmail. This is lives, right? Lives are at stake here. You know? Yeah. Um I have to agree, I have to say though that all the beta-ness that I've experienced has not been around the car's behavior. So I want to be that very clear about that. That's the thing that worries me the most, is that there's some behavior in the car that is been beta, right? Um so far it's all been about user interface and user interaction and it's not being critical user interaction. So I I mean, you'd like – I'd like. you probably will argue to me that coming back in the car, closing the door, and having the screen not turn on is critical user interaction. Yes, but it's not at a critical phase of driving. I'm not driving at that point. I, I so, would definitely
1: say that Autopilot, though, has been very beta e since they just oh, yeah. line with, with their own system. There are certainly unpredictable aspects of the behavior of, of Autopilot 2.0 and, and beyond. Um, that has I been certainly don't problematic. trust it. I mean, I can't uh, believe so that, people – That I think tr- is problematic.
0: Yeah, I, I can't believe people trusted like, like we've seen on videos. Yeah. I guess on that it was the mobile the mobile i version on the S and the X that they trusted that much because I would not trust the three right now. I mean, it's fine, but I'm keeping miles on the road and definitely the frequency at, the, at which they ask you to keep your hands on the wheel is much higher than what we've seen in previous versions and and I do it and it's fine and and yes it feels more relaxing to drive that way on a long distance now that I finally drove once from Portland to San Francisco and back i can say that um it is a much more enjoyable and relaxing experience to do that trip with the um, with any other with the 3 than any other car for two reasons number one the, the driver assist features uh, that let me every now and then kind of take a breather while still driving and then the other big one is supercharging Forces me to stop him mm-hmm. because I'm not the kind of person who stops, you know. In the yeah. Porsche, I'll be like, "Oh, I need. I only need to fill up once with the Porsche. It's a pretty big tank, tank, and it does 23 miles per gallon on that very hilly I-5 drive, uh, driving way, you know, way faster than I should, um, and and uh, with the air conditioning on. So it's actually very fuel efficient. I mean, not bad. 23 miles per gallon, right, for a heavy footed 2001 car. That's probably not optimal and it's engine tuning yeah um and i literally just stopped to pee in gas and once or twice maybe mm-hmm. and so i do the trip really fast but i feel when i get when i get my destination i feel really tired right because i've been high attention span the whole time and and i haven't really taken breaks so with a model 3 i have to i force i'm forced to charge twice for about an hour mm-hmm. on that trip on superchargers and it's nice you get out of the car you walk around you get some food you get a coffee you chat with the locals because they all come around your car and like oh you have a three tell us about it blah 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 it's lovely
1: yeah i actually have gotten to the point where i i not quite look forward to it but but it's definitely something that breaks up the drive and it, it yeah it forces you to get out and stretch your legs a little bit i have a a Nissan LEAF long-termer, and I take it down to, if I have to fly New out of uh, New Jersey, it's about a 150-mile drive. And in theory, the car should be able to make it, but it can't quite. So uh, I'm lucky to have uh, DC fast chargers and all the rest areas between oh, here and New York good, City. Good. So I stop there, I plug in. Usually about 20 minutes is all the juice that I need. So I'll, yeah. I'll go and use the restroom to get a drink, maybe grab a bite to eat. Uh, and then yeah just get back in the car and just that little break, even though it's of course means I get to my destination 20 minutes later um, yeah, exactly. it just makes the drive so much more pleasurable and I'm actually really optimistic about what this means for kind of the future of road tripping because you know I as agree. as people have to use rest areas more frequently, I think these rest areas will start to get a lot nicer and you'll see you know kind of cottage industries building up around charging locations and i'm I'm eager to see what that does to to kind of transform the uh, the transportation landscape.
0: No, I agree. That's that's been uh, magical. I really feel like yes, it take it takes me twelve hours instead of ten hours now mm-hmm. on average, maybe eleven instead of nine if I'm a little faster. But it's nice to have that extra break, and I feel more t- more relaxed, and uh, I feel like I get a chance to, you know, uh, be a part of a different experience. Like when I get to my destination, I realize I have not. Created any emissions it's like wow this is pretty cool um and it's cheap oh my god so cheap i mean i have to pay for supercharging but it is a third of the price of me driving my either my camper van i have a volkswagen camper eurovan from 1993 the early eurovans Mm -hmm. with the stick shift and the five cylinder not the later v6 uh, vr6 ones um and i have the boxer and of course the three and so it's just Wow. Like, you know, seriously, uh, seriously nice. Um, And, and so I don't know, I feel, I feel like you're right. Road tripping is going to change for the better for everyone with EVs. And uh, as long as they can keep enough stalls free for us, right? It's been pretty good. I haven't, I haven't run yet into a supercharger that I couldn't charge at. Uh, Of course, it tells you beforehand, but I haven't had that bad experience. I've had with public charging in San Francisco. So San Francisco, just so everybody knows who's listening to this, I have an apartment, so I, can't, I can park on the street, but I can't connect to anything. So in San Francisco, thankfully, <clears throat> there's a lot of infrastructure. So I can actually find like Volta, the startup, has a lot of free chargers in the city. Um, their model is, you know, you see an ad on a big screen before you plug in, basically. Um, <laughs> it's an ad-based model. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's free charging. And uh, it's level two. It's not the highest speed level two. It's a 20 amp level two. So a 20 amp, 220 volts or 240 or whatever it is. Um, So I can get, you know, about, oh, like 15 miles per hour to 18 miles per hour, something like that of charge. Um, Whereas on a supercharger, I get 300 miles per hour. (laughs) Like It's like. At peak, the superchargers, so the supercharger, I don't know if you've used them, but they ramp up in the middle, right? And they drop out at the end. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of speed charge, uh, speed charge, which is nice because if you're in the middle, if you arrive at a supercharger, you're kind of like in the middle on the 100 to 200-mile range on the 310-mile 310 range, 310 range Model 3 that I have. Mm-hmm. If you plug in there, it'll ramp up to 450 miles per, uh, per hour of charge. 450. It is insane. It just pumps. You can literally see the, the the power meter move on your phone every minute, like visibly. It's like I don't cannot imagine how much juice is going in that pack. And then it starts tapering off at the end. Uh, uh, so anyway, so there's enough infrastructure in the Bay Area that I've been able to just charge for either generally for free in the city at level two. And then uh, obviously supercharges outside the city. Today I'm going to Petaluma. Uh, for uh for a show there with twit and i'm actually going to be uh to be charging at supercharger there there's one petaluma it's perfect I've got 110 mile range left right now so i should be able to make it just fine to petaluma with lots of charge left what I'm discovering tim is that my heavy foot is definitely a disadvantage mm-hmm. yeah uh especially on hilly terrain and I wish as you said the eye pace has prediction of terrain and habit of drive. I wish that the Tesla had a model predicting that too, because I find that it's a bit, it's two stopping twice for, for supercharging between SF and Portland is the bare minimum. I'm finding that I'm often stopping a third time for just like a 10 minute quick top up Mm -hmm. because I'm just worried, like I'm going to get to the hilly parts. And it's like when, you know, when it starts telling you, you're going to make it to supercharge. If you keep the car at 70 miles an hour, I'm like, Screw that! (laughs) That is not happening. I'm stopping for an extra charge at the next charger. Thank you very much. So I wish it could take into account my behavior and my. I wish you could add in the nav system another stop for supercharging. Right now, you can't. Like you, it picks them for you, and you have to go with that. And sometimes I force I force it to stop at a supercharger by picking it off the list. You know, Mm -hmm. and that. Is not optimal yet, in my opinion. Yeah,
1: there's there's a lot of learning to be done on everybody's sides. And that's one of the reasons that EVs have been uh, sold at such a strong subsidy for so long. You know, the Nissan Leaf when it first came out was being sold for well under cost. Um, the Mitsubishi I- I- IMEV, all those EVs were cars that cost the manufacturers forty, fifty thousand dollars, being sold for. You know, $30,000, $35,000 just so the manufacturers could kind of get them out there and figure out what people really need to do in these things. And they're still kind of figuring that out. We, we still see some evolutions like the I-Pace navigation that I mentioned from Jaguar. Um, Chevrolet is doing some interesting things with the Bolt. Uh, and the new Nissan Leaf is miles better than the last Nissan Leaf. But there's still room for improvement because really it does change the way that you drive. It changes the way that you n- navigate. And it changes the way you that I, that I drive, you know, I'm someone who likes to drive in a pretty expeditious way. You know, I enjoy fast cars. I enjoy you too, twisty huh? <laughs> roads. Yeah, shocker. Um, but shocker. when I get in the Leaf or when I get in our Soul EV, at that point, you know, it's all about slow, gradual acceleration. It's about, you know, finding someone who's, you know, finding a big truck that's going roughly my speed on the highway and just kind of hanging out behind them for a while to get a nice draft going. Uh, it becomes a very different style game, but I still enjoy it because it's, you know, now it's it's me being a little bit more strategic about how I drive. It's me having to think a little bit more. And honestly, that kind of makes the, the more boring drives more interesting. Uh, I still like to get out in a fun car and have fun, obviously. Um, but if I'm just commuting, if I'm just doing a simple drive, now it adds a little bit of challenge of me trying to make my car and my drive as efficient as possible, which is kind of fun in, in its own way.
0: I agree. But do you feel that if you had a Tesla of some sort, you wouldn't care? With the range? Yeah, I
1: definitely think so. I mean, once you get to a given amount of range when it's way outside of your, you know, a couple days worth of commuting or whatever, at that point, yeah, I know that I have enough cushion at that point forget about it I'll just do whatever I want to do to have fun
0: yeah because I don't I honestly I don't care and that's the beauty of this car is that I I can care if I want to Mm -hmm. and I have sometimes driven like a grandma just to see the difference Uh and wow what a difference it makes this is what I'm learning it's like if you have a heavy foot with an EV folks do not trust what you see on the dashboard because you're going to be really screwed I mean my (laughs) model S uh, my model 3 sorry tells me you know when I need to charge like way before anything I've never had any issues but I'm just saying like you think you're using one mile range of range per one mile of travel—that mm-hmm. is BS. Because also you have temperatures to worry about. the The Model Three will cool the interior even of the car to keep the computers somewhat cooled down. On uh, a very hot day in Portland, when it's it's been 90s uh, a lot this summer, and when I was there, when I picked my my di- my car was delivered there because I've registered there, and it was so hot, I would lose two or three miles per hour being parked because it was so hot. It was insane. Yeah, and and, 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 uh, and at night I lose nothing. Almost, it's perfect because it's down in the sixties again.
1: But once you get down into really low temperatures, at that point and it gets even worse. Um, the The Teslas will be less affected than some other EVs because their batteries are thermally managed. But the Leaf, for example, has a battery that's not thermally managed. So basically, it's oh, kind of hanging out in the, the new wind. One? Yeah, so I far they have a new pack coming next one. year, but the current pack is still not thermally managed. So I drove. Um, you know, it's rated 161 miles. I drove it from New York City home when I first got it. It was in the, you know, 15 degrees Fahrenheit range. So, you know, Oof. below freezing. Um, and I was probably getting on the order of 70 to 80 miles per charge on the highway. And that's, you know, half of what wow. you would expect. Um, now that it's warmer, it's great. You know, I, I'm easily getting 160 miles and even more. Um, but but temperature extremes on either side will definitely wreak havoc. And again, that's something that we kind of need our navigation systems to to factor
0: in. So what's interesting is that because I'm in the Bay Area and it's always sixty degrees, right, all the time, mm. especially in the summer. Like it does, does, it's perfect weather. Um, it never gets hot, never gets cold. I mean, it gets windy, but that's it. Uh I can I lose very little charge for climate for for basically uh, keeping the battery at bay, uh, happy. And so it's good because I don't have a place to charge at my home. So I actually uh, keep my charge much better here, which suits my you know the fact that I live in an apartment. And then in Portland I have a house, so I plug in. And so I've I I'm plug, I'm eventually going to get a, a Tesla dedicated Tesla charger. And a, I've got a 200 amp service, so I can easily put like a, a 100 amp line to my driveway, and uh, so that I can have like a 60 amp uh, you know Tesla charger and can accommodate any Tesla up to the model x even at full charge full speed uh not supercharged of course but level two and uh, i will do that eventually but right now honestly i don't need it and what i found is this tim is this is what's blowing my mind about the 310 mile of the model 3 and i think of high high range cars mm-hmm. uh EVs, is that i can pretty much since i don't commute to work every day i'm i work at home mostly i just run errands i maybe drive 10 20 miles a day at most um Maybe five miles even sometimes, and I find that just keeping it plugged in 100, on a 110 volt 16 amp outlet, um, when I'm back in my driveway, basically, I recoup that stuff usually in overnight. Like I don't, I don't fully charge a car ever, mm-hmm. but I recoup it. And then if I do want to fully charge the car, it turns out that there's adapters in that came with my Tesla, and I have a dryer plug that I can plug into that actually is right. Like I have a washer dryer that's right on next to my driveway. Basically, mm. I just have to keep the door open, run the cord out, and I charge at a pretty good thirty miles per hour, which is pretty awesome. Mm. It's like fifty amp at two forty volts. So um, I use I usually when I go on on a road trip, I fully charge it with the faster charger mode. Like I just leave it plugged in for a few hours with the door open, and uh, it works just fine. And then otherwise, I have an outlet outside, and I just plug in one hundred ten volts. 16 amp, 120, 16, whatever it is. And uh, I'm surprised that if you don't commute, or at least if you have chargers on each end of your commute, you can actually do fine with a normal outlet. That's what surprises me. It is very slow. It's four or five miles per hour of charge, but it recoups what I use.
1: Yeah, and that again, really starts to make you rethink, again, what it's like to live with an EV. And that's part of the big change that I'm optimistic to see how it all shakes out because it's basically like having a gas station in your gas garage or in your home. driveway. Yeah, and maybe it's got exactly. a really small hose and it just sort of trickles in the gas. But even so, <laughs> that means you, you know, if, if indeed you were able to wake up to a full tank of gas every day, you'd never really need to go to a gas station very rarely. Um, and, and so that's exactly. what people need to start to rethink. And they don't,
0: you know, I think they have to live with it to do it, Tim. I think yeah, absolutely. even me... Conceptually understood this, but once it, I had to live with an EV to actually get it, to really get it, mm-hmm. to be like, oh, this is not a problem. This is really not an issue at all. I mean, having a longer range EV helps. Definitely. Um, I want to speak about the leaf a little more because I have never driven the new leaf. I've sat in it, um, um, but you know, how much better is it? The old leaf was. I drove it once, and it was like oh, uh, worse than a Prius. Uh, it just felt horrible to drive. It just mm-hmm. wasn't a driver's car. And I, I get it. I, I just find I just find it weird because Nissan has given us a GTR. That they made a car that was so mad. It was so generic. It was the most most mad of mad experiences. And I think maybe they were modeling the early. You know, the early Priuses were very mad to drive because they hadn't perfected the the hybrid drive system mm. yet. Uh, and it, I think the current test, the current uh, sorry, the current uh, um, Priuses are pretty nice to drive, better than they ever were because I feel that they've mastered the hybrid system, right?
1: Yeah, it was always a difficulty in the Prius braking because it was it did such a poor job of of switching you between the regenerative braking and the physical braking that there was always this really long kind of mushy vague throw of the brakes and it was really hard to actually stop that car. Uh, In a clean way, as anyone who's ever ridden in the backseat of an Uber or Lyft, who's driving a Prius, can probably attest, with a bit of nausea. I certainly uh, have that issue myself. Um, With the new Leaf, it definitely drives better. Um, It's still not an engaging car to drive by any means. It definitely has, you know, the torque and the acceleration of an EV, which makes it a little bit more fun than a comparably powered gasoline car would be. But the big thing, the big change that they made in the drivability is by really changing the regenerative nature of the braking and really trying to get you to use what they call one-pedal braking or e-braking, which is where you enable a new mode where the regen goes really, really high to the point where you can be tooling down the road at 60 miles an hour, lift your foot off the gas, and brake the car in a fairly short distance to the point where you can be driving in traffic or driving uh, down a city street and really never need to touch the brake once you figure things out. It'll bring the car to a complete stop and hold it at a complete stop, even on a hill, so that you can then take away again. Again, never touching the brake, always using regen, maximizing your range, making sure that your brake pads last 100 million miles. Um, and that actually, again, it's not it's not fun in the traditional driver's car kind of sense, but it's fun in giving a new challenge to yourself. Can I get to work without ever touching the brake pedal? Um, and that,
0: again, makes the driving a little bit more engaging, and that, I think, makes it, makes it a more fun car to drive. I agree. And actually, the one-pedal driving, as you were saying, is is something on the Tesla and the 3 as well. It doesn't come to a complete stop, though. It's really interesting, and that actually drives me a little nuts, is mm-hmm. that it does great regen, great regen. It feels like a car in second gear, which I love. And this is using the standard mode, not the low regen mm-hmm. mode. Because I'm a, I've am a. got it in standard mode for the regen, I've got it in sport mode for the steering, and I've got it in, you know, like the normal acceleration, not the chill mode. There's a chill mode, which I have to say, I signed up for lift, Tim. Really? Just for... Shits and giggles, uh-huh. yes. And driving and for lift, I find that having it in chill mode is much better for my passengers. Yeah, that makes because sense. Because of my heavy foot, um, <laughs> and and but my point is that I have it in all these more. There's more sportier mode. One of the things I love about the Model Three is that it regens hard, and it feels like you're slowing down in second gear, and I love that even more than second gear, actually, more like first gear, and then uh, on a stick shift. and then. But when it comes to the end of that, it kind of continues rolling. It doesn't actually come to a complete stop, where I think the leaf does. I mean, it does eventually come to a complete stop, but you actually do have to tap the brake pedal at the very end a little bit in most flat terrain driving. But here's what I absolutely love, is that you can, if you're on a hill, and you haven't, you know, there's a like a hold mode on the Tesla Model Three mm-hmm. that if you press the brake pedal very hard, it will hold it for you until you hit the accelerator again. And it's not based on it's not a hill hold in the sense that it's not detecting the hill. It's just doing it no matter what, right? Like if you keep the pedal pressed really hard and you already stopped and the car's already stopped, it goes into this this hill this hold mode. It says hold on the screen, and though, if before you hit the hold mode. You can actually modulate the throttle so that you can kind of do the rocking back and forth on a hill like you do on a stick shift car if you want, if you're playing with the clutch. Mm -hmm. And I love it because it's the only car I've ever driven with two pedals where I can roll backwards Mm -hmm. and drive. Mm -hmm. I love that. It feels so real. It feels like a car. It doesn't feel like it's taking over for me, which is what automatics always feel like because of the stupid creep that they do. I hate the creep tim and the Tesla doesn't have it. Yeah. I love that. Most
1: TVs either don't have it or they have an option where you can turn it on or off, uh, which is great. Um, so yeah, good. The, the creep was just kind of a legacy of, of torque converters and automatic transmissions and so that it's become kind of a expected piece of functionality is a little bit frustrating. So yeah to see it dying I think is uh, I think it's good.
0: It's sweet. And so that's another thing that I like. Um, So you're happy with the Leaf. I mean, your Leaf is a long-term review unit, correct?
1: That's right. Yeah, I've had it for six months, I think, just about now.
0: And is it holding up? You're happy with it?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's proving to be very practical. It's, you know, a, a five-door hatchback, uh, and I'm finding the, the rear hatch to be really remarkably spacious. Uh, I had to move a table recently, and in fact, it fit in the back with room to spare, which is kind of amazing. It's It's got a comfortable drive. It's, of course, very quiet being an EV. Um, and yeah, I haven't had any quality issues whatsoever on the thing. It's been totally bulletproof, so... Yeah, I'm, other than the, the range issues that we have in temperature extremes, one side or the other, uh, I'm, I'm. yeah, I'm very impressed.
0: So you think it, it definitely drives better than the old one, right?
1: Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, but, you know, again, maximum range of 161 miles puts it in kind of this awkward sort of in-between place where it's more than kind of the last gen of EVs like the Kia Soul or the i3 or the e-Golf, uh, but less than the Chevy Bolt or, indeed, pretty much all the Teslas. Um, Nissan does have a new version of the Leaf coming out next year, which will put it in the 200-mile range, and I believe that will also be thermally managed, so it should be a little bit less uh, susceptible to uh, to temperature um, fluctuations.
0: Something to look forward to yeah. trying out. I'm actually surprised how roomy the Model 3 uh, trunk is. Mm. Uh, I've moved some stuff now, even though it's not a hatch. I was really bummed that it wasn't a hatch when it came out. Like, I'm, you know, I'm a hatch person. And mm. I was like, I want a hatch sedan, right? Yeah. Like the Model S or like the, you know, the Audi a- a- A5 Sportback or A7 Sportback whatever. And I didn't get that. So I was like, that's a compromise I'm just going to have to make. Same with a sunroof that doesn't open. Come on. Uh, on a premium model, that should be an option. I, I like the idea that I could have that fresh Air 5, but no. Anyway, so those are two gripes that I just had accepted simply because it's not going to change. And But I'm surprised how much stuff I can put in that trunk. Holy crap balls. It's amazing. <laughs> I've new furniture in that thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, but so I would say, like, let, we need to wrap up because it's um, it's been over an hour, but I want to kind of get you feel a little bit really quickly about, the new, the two new shining stars that might give the 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 Tesla's a run for the, their money coming up is the iPace and the Mission E slash Taycan from Porsche, um, and the iPace is Jaguar. So you've driven the iPace and the Mission E, uh, prototype. So the Tycon prototype. What what are what is your take on those compared to say a Model S or Model X or a Model Three or
1: well, we'll start with the Porsche because that was a very early prototype, so there's honestly not a whole lot of impressions to take from that. Um, it was pre-production powertrain, pre-production um, the chassis and suspension and everything else. So the ride quality there was... Was pretty low, but you know, I spent a lot of time, of course, talking with engineers. And what's interesting about that car is they said they want it to be a Porsche, which means you'll be able to take it to a racetrack and do lap after lap after lap, or go on the Autobahn and do really high speeds, uh, and have it still be a Porsche. Effectively, even with the performance mode and the track mode in the new Model Three, you can still only do three or four laps around Lime Rock yeah. before it starts to overheat. And Lime Rock is yeah. a really, really tiny track, just over a mile. Um, so it's still not the kind of car that you could really expect to drive in an aggressive way for an extended period of time and not have it overheat. So I'm very curious to see how that works out with the Porsche, but we've got some time to uh, to go before that, um, before that is known. The Jaguar, on the other hand, has spent a lot of time driving the production version of that car, and I walked away really impressed. Uh, it is still not a sports car as such. It's a crossover SUV, so two-row, four-door SUV with a hatch. Um, So it's not the most engaging car, but still it handles very well. It's definitely on par or or better than the Model X. Uh, It's a much smaller car than, than the Model X, but the handling quality is very nice. It's very quiet the interior, again, is way better than the Teslas, because this is Jaguar. Yeah. You know They know how to make a nice oh, yeah. interior. And the
0: Porsches are going to be the same. You yeah, know it's going to be killer. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We know that the, the Porsche will have a version of the interior that we see in the new Panamera, which is a really, really nice interior. They've done some really cool stuff with capacitive touch buttons that um, that give haptic feedback, a lot like the touch pads on new MacBook Pros, for example. Nice. Same basic thing where you feel like you're clicking on a button, but you're not actually clicking on a button. The same kind of thing. Uh, some 3D touch stuff. So that, I think, will be really nice. The Jaguar interior is really nice. And the really nice and surprising thing about the I-PACE was how great it was off-road. Uh, we took that thing fording some rivers. We went up some outrageously steep <laughs> incline and gravel on, on Pirelli road tires. Uh, and the thing did incredibly well. Um, so I think in places where there's inclement weather, uh, where you might have to worry about um, you know uh, roads flooding in the south in the summertime or dealing with snow up north where I am in the, in the wintertime, um, that could be a really interesting option. Um, but again, the, the drive quality was better than Tesla. The interior quality was miles better. And the performance and price was pretty much on par with uh, a lower level Model X or Model X. So I think potentially it could do pretty well. But the question mark, of course, there is is build quality and, and overall quality. Um, Tesla hasn't exactly made records for its own quality. So maybe it will no. be on par. But you know, JLR traditionally hasn't been known for their quality either. So I'm really curious to see how that shakes out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm my big excitement is is what see what Porsche is doing, frankly. Mm-hmm. But I do think that you bring something up that's really interesting. I think that twenty, thirty years from now, we're going to be looking at an entire generation of off roaders using EVs, uh, yeah. like optimized for off roading, like real hardcore, like what you think of today, like you know these highly modified Jeeps that do Moab. We're going to see this as EVs simply because anything with an EV, right? Right. If you were to build uh, a rock crawler with uh, from using basically a a battery pack from a from a Tesla with a drivetrain of a Tesla, you know, it'd be really interesting to see what you could do off-road, right? Right.
1: And you can have all the torque at any speed that you want to. You don't have to worry about any changing differentials or anything like that to get, get um, more torque at lower speeds. And I think one of the biggest reasons is we're seeing many, many off-road courses and tracks being shut down due to noise Mm -hmm. regulations. Um, And so electric dirt bikes are actually becoming more and more popular specifically for that reason. But that's just going to continue across all other forms of off-roading and, frankly, all forms of racing as well. Um, So I'm pretty excited about that.
0: And imagine being able to apply torque to only the wheel you need, right? I mean, that part of the reason that live axles are so popular is, of course, for suspension reasons, but also for the fact that, you know, there's always that one wheel spinning, that you know uh you're guaranteed to get some traction on um with a especially with a welded diff or whatever and or locked diff as it were in this case you can lock it in software like you can say okay this is the wheel that has traction give it to me and all the torque goes out that wheel and you're rescued from your little rock climbing moment um it'll be really interesting I'm, i'm looking forward to seeing how uh in the same way as we've seen you know um evs obliterate pike's peak at least it started with motorcycles and then now Mm -hmm. cars right with the volkswagen uh uh uh, victory recently i think we're yeah we're going to see a revolution in motorsports as well um i'm i'm looking forward to it i mean don't get me wrong i don't want people to listen to this podcast who don't know me to think that you know i'm all ev all the time but i think that as a tech enthusiast, well, also a car enthusiast, I have to admit that it brings to the table a whole bunch of things. Will you take my Porsche away from me? No, like ever. I will <laughs> keep a stick shift car in my stable forever, as long as I'm allowed to do it. The one that has as few nannies as possible. There's something absolutely raw and amazing about driving that kind of car. In fact, I plan to, up- to get a newer Porsche manual at some point in the future when I can afford to. Uh, probably a 911. That's the, like the next logical step for me. Um, and yes, there's no doubt I will because it's it's uh, you can't replicate that experience and on anything else. It's the same as you know driving an old Ferrari or something. I'm sure it's mm-hmm. it's a unique experience. And and so I'm um, I'm still gung ho about the the good old ICE and you know gas dinosaur drinking vehicles. But I I feel that the future is, that's not where it is. And, and and I feel that I'm going to be looking back at those with a lot of happy, warm, fuzzy feelings and, and also why I'll want to have one in my stable, right? But I also think that for everyday use and many other uses, I think EVs are going to be very, very interesting to see how they develop. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that being said, there's one thing I really want you to touch on before we wrap up completely, and that's infrastructure. Because... We talked a little bit about you know my experience with I don't really need more than 110 volt charger for most situations but when I do this road trip between two cities that's part of the reason I got the Model 3 and, and I've got a Tesla and not a Leaf or any other or even the Bolt which is I a car that I drove which I really liked but it's like I can't do it. I need to charge on these long distances and nobody else has infrastructure right now, which is, for me, gives me a choice of one, right? Um, Do you think that's going to change rapidly? I mean, I know Porsche is starting to, uh, is talking really loudly and starting to implement a sort of DC fast charging network, at least in Europe. Are we going to see something competing? Are we going to see actually in the US some sort of convergence of standards too?
1: Yeah, we definitely will. There's been a split between two fast charging standards, which is um, CCS, which has been more popular in Europe, and the CHAdeMO standard, which has been more popular in Japan. Uh, CHAdeMO has looked like it was going to be taking the lead, but now actually CCS is stepping forward, and I think CCS is going to be the winner. Um, The only advantage that CHAdeMO really had was that it can be a a dual-way transmission of DC current, so your car could power your house, or your house could charge your car. Um, Definitely very important in Japan where they're concerned after the tsunami of having your car be able to power your house for an extreme outage. Um, But CCS has a lot of advantages in that it can do both level 2 and level 3 charging in the same plug. And it's a much smaller plug too, so it's a little bit easier to integrate within a car's design. So CCS seems to be the standard going forward. That's what Volkswagen and Porsche and everybody are using. And as part of the whole dieselgate settlement, actually, Volkswagen Group was mandated to invest billions into uh, what's being called Electrify America. Which is going to be thousands of charging fast chargers in the US. They've just partnered with Walmart to start putting those chargers in the Walmart parking lots, which I think is a really great idea. Um, and we'll see those partnering with more retailers going forward. Um, Tesla's right now got 1,300 stations, roughly, and about 10,000 superchargers. It's really impressive
0: by, how many there are, actually. Yeah.
1: Electrify America by 2020 wants to have 4,800. Wow! Um, so that's going to be a pretty good start. And again, these will be open for any car that supports CCS, uh, which is which is really good. So I think again, going forward, that will be the standard. And we'll see actually rates of up to 800 volts from these things. That's what Porsche wants wow. to use for its Mission E, which would mean you could get 300 and some miles of range in 20 minutes, um, and that's that's really remarkable too. Um, and Porsche is installing those in every one of their of their dealerships as well so you'll be able to have those there. I think we'll see them at every Volkswagen dealership and there's those are all over the place too. So it's still going to be I think 4 or 5 years before we have a really steady solid number of fast chargers that are available and that are uh, you know frequent enough that you don't have to worry about one other person stopping
0: there and suddenly ruining your whole road trip. Well yeah. that's the other thing, right? there's going to be more and more cars, right? So we need to, no, not just we need chargers everywhere, we need more of them everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think, uh, I'm really hoping and looking forward to when Tesla finally decides that they're going to support uh, an adapter for CCS. Mm-hmm. Right now they have adapters for everything else, uh, which really is nice because I can plug into any 1772 AC charging station. Uh, but uh, yeah, supposedly there was a CCS adapter for X and S, but doesn't work with three um it was not a tesla product but i think it's gonna happen um and you know certainly tesla has a vested interest in supercharging but at the same time they also have a vested interest in their customers being happy and being able to have the flexibility of charging anywhere yeah um because they don't make money on supercharging i doubt they make money in supercharging frankly so um yeah so i'm it's it's an exciting time we live in wouldn't you say
1: yeah absolutely it's um you know there are a lot of traditionalists who are kind of down on the whole ev thing but f- i think frankly we're all going to be commuting in like 1200 horsepower all wheel drive outrageously fast machines here in a couple of years uh, and none of them will be burning <laughs> any gasoline so i think ultimately the performance we're going to see from these cars is
0: horsepower really Tim? easily easily <laughs> Easily, it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> I love it. They're gonna be able to move sideways at two G's too on yep. the freeway, yep. right? Like yep. jump, j- jump between it. Just that's like that's, that's actually already. the thing that blows my mind the most about my Model Three, as it is today, not even a performance model. Is that if I see a hole in traffic, uh, it's telepathic. I'm in it, <laughs> like. F you next, whoever you are, you, you're going to be very few people who are going to be able to keep up with me. Okay, if I see another Tesla, I generally kind of like think about it twice. But other cars, I mean, the reflex, the throttle response, and the reflex—even in a in a Porsche—you'd have to downshift on PDK twice to catch up with me. Yeah. And you'd yep. have to be ready to do that.
1: And that's the great thing about EVs. No downshifting, no no waiting for a throttle body to open or for the car, to, the ECU to decide it wants to give you enough fuel
0: and forget emissions. Um, yeah, it's it, it definitely changes things on a, a big it, way. I, it makes me laugh hysterically in the car several times when I drive. It's just like, wow, <laughs> what, what did I, did you see what I just did there? That was insane. Oh, he gave me the finger. Oops. <laughs> that happens too. <laughs> That happens a lot. Well, listen, Tim, thanks so much for being on the show. It was a fantastic show. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Um, Can you tell folks where they can find you on the internets?
1: Yeah, so uh, on Twitter, I'm at Tim underscore Stevens, or I'm Tim Stevens on Instagram. uh, And uh, The Roadshow, you can find us at theroadshow.com. So lots of reviews of all the latest EVs and news. I know we're going to be learning a lot more about Audi's EV plans in the very near future. Uh, E-tron, E-tron. Yeah
0: yeah well listen you guys should absolutely read all It's one of my favorite i i would say i split my my car readership between jalopnik just for the headlines mostly and and because <laughs> the band damn they're really killing they're, it on the headlines damn good. Yep. Damn good, and, and roadshow of course because uh, i get the i get to read tim's stories which is great thank you very much yeah you're welcome and thanks for being on the show by the way uh uh you guys know where to find me i'm tank Girl on twitter that's tank curl, T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character without the vowels. Uh, also on t- on Instagram, tank curl. You can probably find me with that on Facebook, but if not, it's Miriam Joar spelled out with a Y. Um, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Miriam also spelled out my full name with a Y. Um, remember the Your YouTube channel is a compliment to the podcast. I have a lot of unboxing videos like my delivery video for my Model 3 is there. I will link that in the show notes. Uh, You can see what my experience was there. Uh, Tim and I talked about that previously, but I didn't mention it here on the podcast. It was an interesting experience. Um, Not what you'd expect, so check it out. And then um, uh, subscribe to the podcast. MobileTechPodcast.com is the URL. We're on Apple Podcasts, which is iTunes. We're on Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Slacker, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. I found myself on TuneIn Radio on my Tesla. Nice. Like, Yeah, I was like, wow, look at that. I'm there. So there <laughs> you go. If you have a Tesla and you have TuneIn, you can listen to the podcast without even subscribing. Done. Um, but I also want to change, uh, thank our uh, sponsor, Audible. Audible.com is the sponsor for the Mobile Tech Podcast. Uh, there's a link in the show notes, and I'll give it to you now. Uh, to uh, subscribe to the, their services and help the podcast. Uh, you, you know, it's uh, definitely a very awesome uh, audiobook platform. Uh, so it's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com mobiletech mobile tech. If you're commuting or traveling and you can't get your eyes on physical uh, words uh, written out in front of you on a screen or paper, and you need to listen to a book, Audio Audible is your audiobook source. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks, Tim, again for being on the show. Um, I'll be back next week, and we will recap all things IFA. So, come back. Cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.